When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Melanated Faith Podcast. We are so thrilled to have you with us, Kat, and talk more about your book, Abolita Faith, and just dig into everything about it. As a Black woman, I deeply resonate with so many of the themes that you're talking about, about faith and your grandmother, and so I just can't wait to talk more about it. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's such an honor to be in this space, and I'm so excited to chat with you guys. Yeah, I'm so thrilled. I'm like trying not to nerd out too much because I'm like a love a fellow theologian woman of color. So let's get started with that. You attended Fuller Seminary. What made you want to do theology? What inspired you to do theology and pursue theological education? Yeah, that's a good question because I don't really know. You know, it's like one of those life things that you just stumble into and you're like, oh, this was, I guess, a good decision. I was actually a, a special ed teacher and behavior therapist for a while before I went into theology. And I'll just go on a quick, like my little soapbox is let's normalize changing careers like in yes. our 20s and 30s. Right? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> right. I feel like, you know, there's so much pressure to like decide what you want to do forever. But anyway, that's a whole other conversation. I was raised Catholic as as I talk about in my book and then I switched or I kind of transitioned to Protestantism. And it was a whole new world for me. Obviously, I the initial introduction to Protestantism was in the white evangelical world. So that was, you know, a thing in and of itself. But I think because I was introduced into evangelicalism, particularly white evangelicalism as an adult, I wasn't as jaded as a lot of folks. You know, I I think it was easier for me to kind of step in and be like, whoa, what is this? You know, and then quickly step right out, you know. Um, and I think for me, just... I, I fell in love with the Bible, you know, again, because the Bible for me wasn't growing up Catholic, you know, Catholicism, our focus a lot of the time is the sacraments, right? And so scripture wasn't pounded on me or anything like that growing up. So I was able to see it objectively and I, I fell in love with it. I remember one day reading the book of James and it was like the tongue, you know, talking about how the tongue can destroy and all these things. And I'm like, this makes perfect sense. Like, yeah, you know, and I was like, I love this, you know, um, especially being like a young 20 something that I was just kind of like a hot mess and reading about how my tongue can destroy. I'm like, yeah, my tongue's done that. So this is like really cool. Um, so yeah, so I think for me, it was just falling in love with scripture and its stories and its lessons and really wanting to understand it better. And so uh, I decided to start seminary and I was doing it part time while I was still um, teaching and I was still doing therapy on the Side. And then I just got more and more into it. And then I ended up doing it full time and, and then just really falling. And when, once I left white evangelicalism, then really feeling passionate about deconstructing and decolonizing all of the junk that um, was put on me as an adult once I, you know, became a Protestant. So, yeah. So good. 
So tell us more about your relationship with your grandmother and how her faith inspired you. You also talk about in your book, I Believe the Theology. So feel free to fill us in on what that means um, for people who might not know. Um, but y'all definitely have to get the book to learn the rest. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, so my grandmother, as I talk about in my book, she was the sort of the beacon of spirituality in my life, right? And of course, as a young kid uh, growing up, you don't recognize that really until you become an adult or until you get older. But yeah, she was the beacon of spirituality in my life. And everything I learned about spirituality was was taught to me, not through necessarily like a Bible lesson, but through her life, right? Like through her lived experiences, through essentially her survival. I mean, that's what taught me spirituality. It was her faith in God through the way that she raised the family and supported us financially through how she sewed. And it was just through how she cared for the land and cared for her plants and cared for her, you know, how that provided food for us. And just all of these things that to me, that was spirituality, right? That was part of my faith, my understanding of faith. But then of course I get to seminary and I was told, you know, coming again from a Roman Catholic perspective or background into white evangelicalism, I was suddenly told that like, wait a minute, like Catholics aren't Christians or my grandmother wasn't saved, you know, and really having to like deal with that and, and reconcile, wait a minute. So I learned about God like through my grandmother's life, but that was all not legitimate. Like, how does that, you know? And so really trying to A, deal with these existential crises that I was having, but also just try and and understand and reconcile my cultural ethnicity really in a white space because I I was raised very Cuban, right? Like I I wasn't raised in in a white context. And then also... Um, reconciling what faith looked like for me growing up. Um, And so my grandmother, I mean, she, it's so funny because I, I, you know, I I wish I would have wrestled with this more in my book, but you know, you have a thing that you're trying to write and you can't go into so many different (laughs) directions. But, you know, my grandma was tough, you know, she still is. I mean, she, she was hard on us and she was tough. But again, I, I, you know, a lot of that was just because of her need to survive and make it in a world that essentially wasn't um, created for her flourishing, right? The world, it's not necessarily, um, you know, wasn't easy for her as an immigrant and as a single mother. And yeah, I mean, she still doesn't even speak English, you know, like, so, so yeah. So I think um, reflecting on my grandmother, you know, she, she was a tough woman, but she was just, I mean, and is, she's very old and she has dementia. And so she's not really here anymore, you know, but yeah, she, she just like lived her faith in how she um, created community and how she created with her hands and through her body. And all of it, there was a thread of spirituality. There was a thread of thank God, you know, thank thank Jesus, you know. She had her time with her icons and the Virgin Mary and all of those meant so much to her uh, because they were symbols of strength and survival and they were symbols of the beauty of of the land and of place and how that formed and shaped her and i didn't re- i didn't realize back then how spiritual that was how about how how her love for her island how that is a sacred thing i didn't realize it back then but you know reading through the bible and reading about you know the story of israel and how land and how place and god within that is a holy thing you know now seeing whoa there was even more you know to glean from my grandmother's life now that i understand god's story and scripture even you know better 
Yeah. I love that. I love the like wisdom of our elders. It's funny that you talk about your grandmother and like land. Like my grandmother was a really big gardener as well. And I feel like it's so funny because like I obviously did not inherit that from her. I did not have a green thumb. But like that she was teaching like yeah. part of and I think now that I'm like older and like as someone who's interested in theology, like one of my things I'm interested in is place and creation care and our responsibility when we talk about you know, Christ coming to redeem, like that it doesn't just include people, it includes place right. and sp- specific. And I just think that's to me one of the biggest gifts. And I loved hearing you talk about your grandmother and like her love for her island, like the kind of embodied theology. And I feel like sometimes like Western European is so like intellectual, it's in your head. And it's like, you know, Jesus was like flesh and blood. And he, right. it was like very specific, you know, in that he was Jewish and he was born in Palestine right. and like, that that stuff matters and so i feel like it's it's so interesting to hear you talk about how yeah like our grandmothers were were in so in their own ways teaching us that and like yeah. we don't you know we were just kind of like oh yeah you don't really know right. cuz you haven't read you know right. bonhoeffer or barth or whoever it is they've had us <laughs> reading in seminary it's like oh you don't right. granny i had to hate to tell you this but this is <laughs> this is this is wrong Right. Like, I literally believed, like, I remember coming home from seminary one day and, like, evangelizing to my grandma. Like, how bizarre is that, you know? And I just remember, because I felt like, oh, my gosh, she's she's lost and she doesn't even know it, you know, like the devil. And it was just so, it's just so bizarre. And, And what you were saying about, you know, Jesus, like, we, I feel like, you know, people talk about Jesus being a physical person, like, oh, the physical manifestation of God. But, like, they really, people believe that Jesus was, like, a disembodied soul. Like, yeah. the way that, you know, like, the, like a disembodied soul just floating around the earth. Like, everything Jesus said about, you know, physical things, like, actually curing or, like, actually feeding people or, like, actually bodily resurrection. Like, people are like, no, no, no. He didn't, nah. You know what I mean? And it's like, mm-hmm. do you actually believe Jesus was a real person? <laughs> you know? Um, and I don't think a lot of, you know, they, they might say they do, right? But the way that folks actually, um, yeah, live out their faith or even, re- you know, it's it's not, a f- it's, it really isn't a physical thing. No, I love that. And I love even just, like, I had a professor at seminary. I went to, like, a Baptist, like, like evangelical. But I had the professor I had for early Christianity was very into Catholicism and kind of like that kind of thing and when we talked about icons she totally changed my mind on that and why Mm -hmm. icons are so important and an important part of the faith and like going back to this idea of like embodiment and like blood and like flesh and helping remind and recall that that there's nothing like you're not worshiping (laughs) the sort of like Protestant thing is like you're worshiping Mary or you're worshiping this like icon of, 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 of Jesus and like even just in teaching like the ways in which kind of like historical early Christianity like art reflects like gives a theological message and so I think Protestants miss out on so much of like the richness by like dismissing Catholicism and being like oh you guys are not Christians right it's yeah yeah, it's very ignorant for sure yeah okay so I'm gonna go back on script (laughs) so if you had to pick one woman of the Bible whose story and life has influenced you or inspired you the most who would you pick and why Oh, that's such a good question because I, I might say one person today and then tomorrow I'll say another one. So today, (laughs) today I'm going to say probably Rispa, her story, I think for many reasons. For one, her story is really inspiring because nobody knows who she is. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like I, 
And that's what I think is so heartbreaking, but also so fascinating. Um, and it, it's so telling, right? It's so telling of evangelicalism and white evangelicalism that you have this woman who no one really knows who she is. I mean, before I wrote this book, I didn't know who she was. And I learned who she was through writing this book. And I took, I mean, I took Old Testament classes. I took exegesis court. I mean, you know, all of that, whatever, you know, and I still had no idea who Rispa was. But what I think is so fascinating about her story is that not only does she, you know, engage in this act of protest, like a literal, she puts her body and with her body, she is protesting. She is a mother that is protesting injustice. Um, like so many mothers throughout history, and I write about this in my book, so many mothers of the movement and La Madre de Plaza Mayo in Argentina. I mean, so many mothers who have done this. And she's like, you know, our patron saint of this. And she literally puts her body on the line. But it is because of her protest that God ends the famine in Israel. Like, what? <laughs> you know what I mean? And nobody knows who she is. Like, think about that. You know what I mean? Like, it's not just that she engages in this act, this sacred and holy act. But it's that God responds to it. And the entire the, the entire people of Israel can eat, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like eat for the first time yeah. in what, you know, three years, right? Or not for the first, but you know what I mean? Like, yeah. like the flowers and the plants start blooming again, right? Mm. And I think that that is so, like I've said, sacred and holy, but so telling of how her story is silenced. And also um, it just makes, it gives her story all the more she didn't just put her body in the line as protest, which in and of itself is enough. But it was her doing that, that literally the people of Israel ate. Yeah, I <laughs> so, love that. Yeah. That's so good. Now I just want to ask you, besides your grandmother, who is your favorite theologian? Oh, oh, oh my gosh. that's a, 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 Again, I will probably have different things to say. But you know what? I, in the last like three years, I've been on, and she wouldn't consider herself a theologian, but I would consider her a theologian. Um, Robin Wall Kimmer, Braiding Sweetgrass. And I mean, that's not necessarily a super profound, but you know, choice. Um, because again, she probably wouldn't consider herself a theologian. But I think, you know, we've been talking about the land and just talking about Rispa and how because of her protest, the, you know, the people of Israel ate. And I have been reading her book as a devotional for like three years, you know, and it's not a devotional, but I've been reading it as a devotional. Um, and I'll, I'll literally read like, a chapter and then I'll stop for like a week and just think about that chapter and then I'll read another chapter you know and she really has opened my eyes to the yeah the sacredness and the holiness of and the the reciprocity I think that that's been the main thing that we don't just or we're not ought to just love the land but the land loves us back and I think that that to me is what's been so profound like the land loves us, you know, the land provides for us. And I think that through that, we see how much God loves us because God, that's how God provides for us through the land. But yet we treat it as if it's disposable, as if it's private property, as if it's, you know, as if it's a resource, you know, a, like they say, natural resource. And people don't like that term because it's not a resource, you know, it's a living breathing thing um so i would say her today i'll probably also say uh ada maria sassi diaz you know the mother of mujerista theology i'll say a lot of people um but yeah i love it sorry faith 
just felt <laughs> like okay. she was just I was just I like, know you're nerding so, out Catherine I know I'm so nerding out and I'm just like <laughs> like I was like oh I love this story and then I was like oh wait we have to ask her about her favorite theologian <laughs> and there's so many so one thing that you wrote in your book that I really appreciated, you said, as you read, you may notice that I may ask more questions than give answers when it comes to scripture. And you said, for me, questions are an invitation to stay curious and to keep listening. So first of all, I really love that. I love when people are like, I'm not about to give you the answers in this book, but we're going to talk about some things. Um, So I'm wondering from like your perspective, there's a lot of conversations about deconstruction and decolonizing your faith. um, But how do you stay curious and engaged as you study scripture? Yeah, that's such a good question. So I think I was able to really practice that as I was working on Awalita Faith, because a lot of the women that I found and that I was trying to, you know, sort of pull their stories, trying to pull them out of the, of the narratives of scripture, their stories were like a lot, like a sentence half the time. You know what I mean? Like their stories are like the story of Rizpa, for example. I mean, her story is like three sentences, but what we can pull out so much from them if we're just willing to ask questions about it. Right. So like the woman of, um, the wise woman of Tekwa or Tekoa or however you want to pronounce that. She, I, I thought that Again, her story was a couple sentences and she's kind of overlooked. Like whoever talks about the wise woman of Tekoa, you know, um, but like what made her wise? Like, you know what I mean? Like, I just want to know, like, what was what, why Tekoa? Like where why was she born there? So I started doing research about, you know, this place, Tekoa or Tekoa. And I started researching and I found out Amos was born there and or there, it's he's thought of to have been born there. Obviously, we don't really know, but. And then I thought, oh my gosh, Amos. I started reading the book of Amos. And I'm like, Amos, you know, has like that line, like justice will roll down like a river. And, you know, this is like a famous verse that we love to recite when it comes to justice and and, and all of these things. And I'm like, well, wait a minute, you know, what else can we learn about this place? If Amos was born there and Amos had all this wisdom about justice, you know, and then I find out that like, that place is is the place that it's like proverb it's known for it's like milk and honey and then i'm realizing like milk and honey like that is such a huge theme you know that god mentions throughout scripture like you know milk and honey are like these sacred elements that um god gives to god's people you know and then i thought wait a minute but there's so much to glean from that too right and this is all from just like the wise woman of Tekoa you know what I mean um and so I think that for me you know that's a long-winded way to say that I just want to ask questions and look at scripture ask questions that aren't there obviously and then I want to look at scripture you know we know that the bible is a book written by men for men right and so if I'm reading it as a woman and not just, you know, and as a, a Cuban woman, you know, what are some things that I'm going to see um, that aren't told to me, that haven't been taught to me, that might be striking to me? Like the fact that this land is the land, you know, is where milk and or honey comes from, right? Um, what kind of wisdom is in the land? You know, how, where did this woman, where did she receive her wisdom? You know, and then I also, if she, they, they had asked the, the wise woman of Tekoa to come and speak to King David, and King David listened to her. Well, why did he listen to her? What kind of authority did she have? And to me, I wrote this in my book, but like, this tells me that there's like literally, quote unquote, official abuelita theologians in the Bible, because you have, you know, King David is listening to this woman who has no name in scripture, who is just this random that we never even talk about or think about, but she had the authority to correct King David, right? So yeah, I think for me, it's just, 
allowing my my cultural and my ethnic and my contextual lens um, to draw things out that others told me weren't important or that others, yeah, didn't train me to look through. You know, because we might say that, yeah, me as a Cuban woman reading the Bible, you know, I'm going to read things that are different. But if the people who trained me never gave me the freedom to bring my Cubanness into the text, then I'm going to read it like a white person because that's all I was <laughs> trained to do. You know what I mean? And obviously that's not, I, I'm generalizing, you know, of course you are going to read it with certain lens. But I just mean like we have to um, give ourselves the permission to pull things out that we know are important to us, to our people, to our communities, like something like honey being from Tekoa. And what uh, does that tell me as, as a person uh, reading the Bible? And so, yeah, I just want to just draw things out that have never been drawn out before. Uh, like right now I'm, I'm preaching on Jonah this weekend and something that stood out to me as I was reading the book of Jonah is, you know, in chapter four, when God says, is your anger a good thing? And I thought, what a good question. Is your anger a good thing? Like he just asks Jonah. He's not like, Jonah, your anger is not a good thing. He's saying, Jonah, is your anger a good thing? What if it is, right? We've been taught that it isn't, but what if it kind of is? And God is just giving him an opportunity to wrestle with that. And so I read that and I think, hmm, is your anger a good thing? And so I've just been thinking about that for weeks. Is my anger a good thing? And that's something that, you know, I just want to ask when it comes to scripture, um, and keep digging those kinds of things out of there. Yeah, I love that. And I love that this idea of like bringing the fullness of who you are again, because Jesus was embodied. Right. Um, he, you know, read scripture at a certain way because of where he grew up and his experience. And so I love that. I think oftentimes in seminary, like we forget that. And it's like, you know, if you're a white European male, you're reading it neutral and everybody else is doing race or contextual or like I had a classmate. It was like one of the most frustrating conversations I've ever been a part of in my life. But he basically was like, why does it seem like all the people of color are only talking about race or gender in the Bible as if in like theology, as if, you know, Karl Barth right. is not talking about his experience as like a right. European right. white man. Exactly going you know and so it's just like but like they have oftentimes that this is the default the right way right. to read scripture and like gatekeeping in a way that like yeah. you bringing your cubanness or as a woman you're you know heretical or outside the confines right. because you're bringing that to scripture right 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 so yeah. related to bringing your full self to scripture you're a new mom congratulations and Thank i think you. as you Think about motherhood in scripture. What do you hope to pass on to your daughter? And I, I think also too related, we kind of talked about this already, but like the insignificance and importance of motherhood in scripture yeah, and legacy. That's, yeah, that's so good. And I it's honestly been so beautiful to have folks allow me to to wrestle with those two things at the same time because in the moment um raising a tiny human that's like literally tiny, like three months old, um, can just feel so like it's hard to reflect spiritually sometimes because mm -hmm. you know I'm just cleaning diapers and trying to you know we're playing hot potato with her half the day like here your turn my turn you know but I think and and again this is right now something that I've been thinking about because I've been wrestling so much with this idea like is your anger a good thing and how Jonah was just given this opportunity to wrestle and be angry and be annoyed at God's mercy and God was just like hey, you know, I'm just going to let you sit there and wrestle with it. And 
And I just want to give my daughter that opportunity to be angry and annoyed and frustrated with life and with faith and with me, you know, yeah. and and just give her an opportunity um, yeah, to, to wrestle and to ask God those really hard questions. And I also want um, her to know, and, and these are two separate things, but I also just want her to know the beauty of the land and and know that her ancestors you know come from uh her ancestors come from cuba and that i want her to know that cuba lives within her you know that's Mm. something that's always been really big for me is knowing that you know although i've never lived in cuba although you know i've never um yeah i've never i don't know what it's like to be a person that lives there i know that it lives within me and that draws so much from me you know so much of what I think and write about stems from the fact that you know the island of my ancestors lives within me so those two things you know and and I think those go together you know of her as someone who obviously will never live there what does it mean to be someone from somewhere else you know and I write this in my book that we we often or the dominant culture whiteness might look down upon that you know like that we because you know our ancestors aren't from here that that's not a good thing but I want to re- you know in my book I try and reclaim that like but we have you know this yeah. this beautiful you know this this otherness that is yeah. alive um, within us and so those are those are two things that just the overall wrestling um, with with life and faith and how weird and complicated all of it can be, but also so beautiful. That's so special. And just like, I'm thinking about how incredible and impactful that will be for her when she grows up, the permission to wrestle and not have like pressure from, you know, her parents to just Mm -hmm. not ask questions. You know, Mm -hmm. sometimes in certain faith communities, it's like you just don't ask questions. It just is what it is. And like you are, you're also creating like a place where her faith can be embodied and wrestled with. And that's really, really beautiful and so cool to hear. Thank you. I hope, you know, I do a good job. It's better, you know, it's one thing to say it and then another thing to do it. So thank you, I hope. Oh my gosh. Well, I'm sure like you'll do your best just like every other parent does. I'm not a parent. So shout out to you and for being able to like press into raising your newborn baby girl during a pandemic. Okay, so please, you know, give yourself some grace, pat yourself on the back. Um, these are these are different difficult times. So um, we like to end our episodes with a question. And especially because there's so many trying things going on right now, we'd love to know from you, what are you hopeful for right now? Like what when you think about this year, you know, what keeps you hopeful? Yeah, so I um, just met with a group of new moms uh, in my in my air in my community or whatever here in Nashville, and you know we were just talking about just how hard it is and and just you know how society doesn't give you the resources that you need to do all the things that you need to do and and all of that. And what you know, one of the women she said, we forget, and this is not just about being a mom, but this is just about doing all the hard things that we're doing, as you mentioned, in a pandemic that just showing up with our full selves is brave enough and is a full form of bravery. Like we are just being so brave by showing up in the fullness of who we are. And I, th- I feel like 
I've witnessed that so much from so many of us because it's been such a hard two years and so many of us are showing up just absolutely exhausted and absolutely broken whether it's yeah raising a new baby or whether it's doing a project that's super hard or whether it's literally just like existing because it's so freaking hard and yeah I I've I've thought that this morning like I got emotional when she said that because I'm like man so many of us are being and just doing the brave thing of just keeping on and showing up and yeah, I think that that's giving me hope. I, th- I think so much. Every time I think about this in particular, I think about Miriam and I write about her in my book, but how, you know, she had the timbrel with her when she when they crossed the Red Sea and she led everybody in worship and dance. And she literally like pulled a timbrel out of her back pocket. And I've wrote about this on social media and stuff, but like she literally tried, like they, they left Egypt, like they were colonized and oppressed and they left Egypt and she just like packed an instrument for celebration. Like, you know what I mean? Like she had that ready just in case there was something to like dance about or celebrate. And I always think about that. You know, I always want to make sure to be someone that has a timbrel in my pocket so that when I show up somewhere and I'm like, we were brave today, pull out that timbrel and let's dance for five minutes, you know? Um, and it gives me hope knowing that so many of us are doing that thing uh, without realizing that we're doing it, we're doing it. And that makes me feel really good. Love that. I love that. That was so good. <laughs> Such a good word to end our interview. Let's be people with timbrels ready to celebrate. Amen. Yes. Amen. So, so good. So it's time for our favorite segment and yours. Go off, sis. So this is a time where we talk about something that we're loving right now, our bless, um, and then also something that is a mess. I am going to start with the mess, which is actually funny. Yeah, it's kind of like, yeah, it's a funny thing. Anyways, I really love Kev on stage. If you all, if you all don't follow him, you should. He's super hilarious. And all of the videos that he puts up, they really, truly make me laugh. He's put up one video in particular that you'll definitely need to, you know, scroll and find. But it is about Khloe Kardashian. And he made a video. I think he called it like scary hands or something. Anyways, he is just like he's hilarious he's a nut anyways he's a he is a mess but he's funny and he's and he has hilarious content go follow him if you're looking for like black comedy and like you want like a place to laugh and engage he's he's great you'll you'll have a lot to um laugh about and then also he has an app um do you remember the name of it Catherine? okay anyways well he is an app and it's really cool you should should subscribe (laughs) support black creators we'll put it in the show notes like we'll look it up and we'll put it in the show notes yeah we'll put it in the um in the show notes for y'all the thing that is my bless is my puppy kobe and you know i'll keep you all updated on how this is going if if he becomes a mess next episode you'll 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 know that soon Those are mine. Okay. So my bless is all of the people that 
put TikTok videos on Instagram because I'm an old and I will not join TikTok. <laughs> but I have found some really funny videos and I sometimes I'm tempted, but then I remember I'm an old and I can only manage <laughs> so much technology. And so Instagram is my thing. One of my like this, you'll it, it's really old, but it just, you know, as we're talking about like free Britney kind of thing and like again being an old like um this woman made a tiktok about how britney has black cousins and jamie lynn spears like needs to leave it alone and i agree with that because (laughs) i will say as a black girl that grew up in suburbs and maybe black girls not in the suburbs but i'll speak to my context you know we loved britney spears we don't play about britney jean so shout out to like the wonderful cool people that use TikTok and then know how to post TikToks to Instagram. I'm very thankful for you. I appreciate you. I bless you. Okay, my mess is kind of serious. And this is kind of, um, by the time this episode airs, it's kind of an older story, but um, it's always relevant. I wrote a cover story for Austin Woman Magazine, kind of on a related issue around just the experience of Black women and like violence and like the high numbers of Black women that are murdered by partners and you know whether boyfriends husbands or whatever and then how those crimes are treated by police departments if you've heard the name lauren smith fields i just it it reminds me of all of the things that black victims of crime have to go through to get the police to take our lives and the lives of our loved ones seriously and i just think you know people there's a lot of conversation around police and community relations between the police and black communities and I think one thing they could do beyond not shooting us is just treating black victims of crime with like compassion and love and as if they're humans and if it was your family um when I read the stories about all the things that Lauren Smithfield's parents had to do to get an investigation like treat black crime victims with respect and dignity without them having to go viral on social media and the same for like victims of police brutality like I just this idea that we have to have these social media campaigns or Cardi B tweet and like make videos about something for people to take our concerns seriously. It's just really upsetting. And yeah, I interviewed this woman for Austin Woman Magazine who was subject to military sexual assault and just the ways in which that reverberated in her life, partly because she was treated with such inhumanity by the system. You're re-victimizing people. And so that is a mess. I know that was serious. And normally I start with the serious and go lighthearted, but I just, I I feel like it's very serious and um, always timely conversation around how we treat particularly black women and black um, victims of crime. You're absolutely right about that. There's, there was a lot of social media movement, even on TikTok for Lauren's case. And so you're, you're really right about the fact that it took so much for her parents um, and the community at large to even pay attention. So I'm glad you brought that to our attention and you know hopefully they will find more answers when it comes to her death okay so usually it's not that dampered down cat but it is your turn we're going to try to lift it up a little bit because that was serious and then now it's your turn (laughs) thank you thank you for bringing that up Catherine. so i'll say as far as bless this is gonna be weird because i've never done wordle i i want to i really the other day my i look over and my husband was like and i was like you do wordle like i had no idea that he did it he's like yeah i've been doing it for a while i i learned about it on like the new york times or something and i was like because oh, i haven't done it but I, as weird as it sounds it brings me joy when like w- there's like a trend that's like 
you know, not terrible. And like, yes. and what I mean by that is like, everyone's just like happy about it and like fun and like silly and just sharing their like little things that have no idea what they mean. Those little squares. <laughs> I don't know what that means. I know. But I love seeing it because I'm like, everyone's just like, everyone's united over this like silly, happy or just neutral. It doesn't even have to be happy. It's neutral. Yeah, yes. um, I love it little thing and so i need to get on it. it it was funny like several years ago remember when pokemon go was like a thing oh my gosh I, again i never did that but i just like love that everyone was doing it <laughs> so i just like support all these like weird cultural things that i've just never done so i will say that's like a fun thing that i'm just happy everyone's united over something neutral and then i will say the the mess just because it's on my mind and I already mentioned it, but like, man, society does just a terrible job at giving us the resources that we need to be human. And I, I know faith that you talk a lot, so much about rest. And I love that. I appreciate that so much because I feel like we need to just keep hammering that into our people and into our communities and into ourselves. Um, Yeah. I, I'm just, it's just terrible. It's terrible that women are expected to, and, and I, you know, just do things that are, you just superhuman and yeah and not get paid for them and all the things so i just i've been thinking about that today just how annoyed and bothered i am by that <laughs> yeah no that's i we completely agree we have talked about in previous episodes with previous moms a lack of affordable childcare and paid family leave and yes. all the things the sort of hustle hustle culture that is just yeah and it's i think to our larger conversation is like contra to scripture like if you you know and like right exactly rest for our bodies rest for the land like it's an important yep. part of our like what it means to be human is to rest and i think right. society as a culture just has no respect for that no it's so mm-hmm. true and i think that's why these conversations are important and um even the work that you're doing kat is so important and so we're just really grateful that you took the time out of your busy day and schedule just to talk to us and and bless us with your words and your wisdom and um we just really looking forward to continuing to share more with our community about you and your work and so thank you so much for joining us today Yes, no, thank, thank you, you so guys. much. This is so fun. Yeah, thank you. And thank you for the work that you're doing. Yes, this was such a blessing and encouraging. And I just, now I'm like excited to dive into scripture and learn more about Rispa. And like, so Yay. I appreciate <laughs> you so much. I, yeah, it was fun to like nerd out a little bit. I tried to restrain myself. <laughs> <laughs> I feel you. No, I'm always, I'm like, wait, wait, okay. Oh, I'll do it. <laughs>